Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He came as the Savior of the world. He did his healings as, again, not only a demonstration of the compassion of God in the lives of people, but also as a demonstration of the power and the authority of God over life and death and even over nature itself, that he had that might and that he had that power. The crowds were looking to get their temporary felt needs cared for. They they wanted favors, not truth. They wanted healing and not conversion, but Jesus came in order that we might have life everlasting, spiritual, eternal life. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. He then asked her parents to keep quiet about what had happened. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that while the Lord does have authority over all things, including death and disease, he did not come to the world to simply meet people's every whim and desire. Instead, Christ came to seek and save the lost and to restore our broken relationship with God. The Lord wants us to love Him for who He is and not simply for what He can do for us. Now here's Pastor David as he concludes a series in Luke entitled, A Desperate Faith. He permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and they mourned for her, but he said, do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. Now, who is this that's mourning and weeping? Who is this that's ridiculing Jesus? The scene had to be pretty crazy at that point in time. The family had known for some time that, again, this girl, she was so sick, she's passing in to death. And so they had what are called the mourners there at that place. Mark, again, in Mark's gospel tells us that as Jesus came to the house, he saw a tumult and those who wept and, and, and wailed loudly, wailed loudly. Matthew tells us of the same incident. And he says that when Jesus came, Jesus saw the, the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. You see, at this point in time in that culture, they had what are called professional mourners. Professional mourners, those are the ones that would come and they were available to be able to come and assist the family in their time of sorrow. In the Old Testament, the prophets Jeremiah and Amos speak about bringing in the mourning women, not the AM women, the the mourning, the crying women. They they also speak of bringing in the, the skillful wailing women. They They also talk about the skillful lamenters. They bring them in as part of that grieving process for the family. But as Jeremiah and Amos were saying, no, you need to bring them in because of the grieving process for what's going on in Israel. But in that culture, they had these professional lamenters. You might say that they were 
mourners for money, okay? They would come in. Can, can, can you imagine the scene? Hey, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. Hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a crier. A crier? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good at it. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they, they hire me every once in a while to come and cry at services, you know, just kind of add a little extra sorrow to the situation. And as a matter of fact, I, I play the flute too. And if you've never hear, heard the blues played on the flute, man, you, you've never heard the blues played. You know, a professional mourner, and they would have these people that would come. Jesus saw the commotion, and he told them, Hush, she's not dead. She's sleeping. But he was speaking about that physical versus the spiritual status of that young lady. He wasn't saying that she had only slipped into a coma. Don't don't misunderstand here. There was no doubt that the young lady had slipped into physical death. Jairus, with his position and his wealth, no doubt he had probably hired the best of doctors to come and care for and watch over his daughter to, to whatever. And when they said that she's dead, there was no doubt that she was dead. But here comes Jesus, and he says, no, she's, she's not dead, but sleeping. And, and the, the wailers, these professional mourners, began to ridicule him. And the other gospel writer says that they, they laughed him to scorn. They laughed at him, and I mean, after all, they were professionals. They, they, they know what death looks like. And here comes this rabbi, no, she's not dead. Can you just imagine how they would have treated him? But you see, for the Son of God, death really isn't an obstacle at all. And that's, that's kind of hard for us to really understand. That death and life are not an obstacle in any way, shape, or form for Christ. And neither is the situation that you may be in. You may think that your situation is really huge and really big, and I'm not belittling it or bringing it down in any way, but let me assure you, he who reigns over life and death also reigns over every situation that you and I may find ourselves in. Do not fear, but only believe. We've already seen him raise the widow of Nain's son. And remember the widow of Nain's son, man, they were, they were taking him to put him in the ground. That's how dead he was. They were ready for that. And remember, Jesus just came and he touched the open box where the young man was and he sat up. Made, he was alive. In a while in the gospel, we'll see where Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And Lazarus, well, he was already in the tomb. He was, for four days he had been buried. Surely, Lord, he stinketh. I mean, he is, he, is, he is that dead. And yet Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Death isn't an obstacle. And if death isn't an obstacle, what in our life would be an obstacle so great that our Lord could not cover it and take care of it? Not even an inconvenience for Jesus. It's only an opportunity for him to be able to demonstrate the power of God to a desperate people. And I believe the same in the situations that we may find ourselves in. We may find ourselves in those desperate situations. And we cry out to God because there's nothing that we can do. And you know, that's where the Lord shines the greatest is when we finally come to the end of ourselves and we say, I cannot do anything about this. I believe the Lord says, it is about stinking time. Let go of it and let me work my work within your life. Jesus dismissed all of these ridiculers, all the, all the faithless ones, and he allowed only the father and mother and Peter, James, and John to go with him into that room where this young girl was laying in the bed. She 
was perished. And this, this is the first instance, too, of, of singling out uh, this trio separate from the other disciples to take Peter, James, and John. As we've gone through the gospel according to Luke, this is the first time that uh, he's pulled these three guys together to, to work with them. Uh, now, and then we're going to see throughout the rest of the gospel and the other gospel accounts that there's several times that, that these three Peter, James, and John, the, the Lord takes them separate from the other disciples for various and assorted reasons and, and events. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons why he does this with Peter, James, and John. Number one, Jesus knew that these three men, above all the other disciples, they were going to be ones who were tested to the maximum. They were going to be placed in, in situations of, of great trials, and yet they were going to raise up in, in, in leadership among the disciples. But I believe that there's another thought of why these three are separated, why, why they seem to be more attached to the Lord in these different areas. These three also turn out to be some of the ones that he seems to have to settle down and, and draw the rein in a bit more than the other disciples. Peter, he's, he's the guy that's constantly talking, constantly talking and boasting and saying things that, okay, Peter, just settle down. It'll be fine. Just, just hush for a minute. Peter's always the one that's volunteering information that Jesus has to rein him in. Oh, and then there's James and John. You know, Jesus himself gave James and John the name, the sons of thunder. Jesus gave them that name. Why? Because they, they were that kind of an attitude. They were the ones that they found out that a village uh, that had rejected the Lord, that didn't want the Lord to come by, it was James and John that came to the Lord and said, well, Lord, should, should we call down fire like Elijah did on these people and destroy them all? That, that was the heart of James and John. It was James and John that, that said, hey, Lord, can we be on your right hand and your left hand when you come to your kingdom? They wanted those places. How many of you are teachers, uh, either public school, private school, or homeschool teachers, anything? Okay, uh, who do you want the closest to you? The, the troublemakers, to keep your eye on them, to make sure that they don't get in any more trouble. I wonder myself, maybe Peter, James, and John, as much as the Lord's going to use them, he also said, you know what, the rest of you guys, but you three, come with me. You, I, I want you here, because he, he just knows them. Troublemakers. I think that might be part of the reason, but I think part of the reason too, really in all honestly, is that these three men of the disciples are going to rise to some pretty significant positions among the disciples. We know that James, just shortly after the resurrection of Christ, he, he gets beheaded. We know that John, writing Again, the book of Revelation, the book of John, the, the epistles of John. We know that Peter, again, uh, as one of the leaders, not the head leader, not, not the, you know, he's not the pope of the church, but he was a leader of the church, a leader of the disciples, the writer of First and Second Peter, as well as, again, it was from Peter that they believed that Mark got most of his information. These three guys close there. So, Peter, James, John, Jesus, the mother and the father, and the dead young girl. And verse 54 says that, that after he put them all outside, all the other ones, all the ridiculers, all those without faith, he took the young girl by the hand and he called saying, little girl, arise. Little girl, arise. In, in Mark's gospel account, he brings out the fact that Jesus spoke Aramaic 
to this young girl. That, that was the, the common language of the day. Mark tells us that he took the girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. There, there, was, there was a tenderness as Jesus was ministering to this young girl. It's also interesting that all three of the gospel accounts of this girl's uh, resuscitation uh, from the dead, all three of them report that Jesus took the little girl by the hand. And again, I believe that that's a touch point. It's a touch point for the family as well as for this young girl. It's a touch of tenderness. It's a touch of care and compassion on this one. We already know that he didn't have to touch her. I mean, we, we, we saw from the centurion uh, a chapter or so ago, my servant, man, he needs to be healed. And so Jesus just spoke the word, and he was healed at that very hour. We, we know that he didn't have to touch her. Jesus could have just spoken the word, and she would have risen from the dead. And Lazarus, he didn't open the, the, the stone of the, the tomb there and walk inside and touch Lazarus, despite what the movies might say. No, he just called out her name, and, or called out his name, called out Lazarus, and Lazarus came forth. We understand that. He didn't have to be at the house. He didn't have to touch her. But out of his compassion, he was there, and he took her by the hand, Talitha Kumi, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 55 says, Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, and he charged them to tell no one what happened. Now, you need to understand a couple of things here. Don't skip over it too quickly. It says that her spirit returned. Once again, that's confirming the fact that she was dead. Her spirit had left her body. She wasn't just mostly dead. She was dead. Her spirit had left her. But now it returned, and, and with it, that, that breath of life re-entered her young body. How long had she had been sick? How, how long had she had been in that ailing condition? We don't know. How long had she eaten uh, or since she had eaten? It could have been days. She could have been in just an absolute uh, near-death experience. We don't know this. But this one thing we do know, Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Your daughter is back alive. She's back from the dead. Now go and give her some food to strengthen her. Just a common understanding, just a common uh, 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 wisdom that goes there. And it says her parents were astonished. And I, and I think for Luke, that's a, a, a huge understatement. Uh, I, I think much more, just think of it yourself. If your daughter had died and you, you, you'd gone through all of that grief and now Jesus comes in, Talitha Kumi, she rises up and now she's alive again. Astonished? Oh, I think you would have been blown away. I would, I would have think your heart would have been racing. The, the fullness of joy would have just flooded over you totally uh, amazed and I believe maybe a little bit in, in shock at that point in time. And maybe that's why Jesus kind of broke through that shock and says, hey, why don't, why don't you go get her something to eat and go get her something, do, go do something useful at this point in time. But then Jesus told him, he says, I charge you, don't tell anybody what happened. That's kind of bizarre because already you've got this group of mourners, okay, that have been out there. So you've got this large congregation of these professional mourning people that are just kind of waiting outside because they know she's dead, even though Jesus doesn't know she's dead. They know she's dead. Well, pretty soon she, they're going to realize, no, she is alive. So they're going to be saying something. But Jesus tells the parents, I charge you, don't tell anyone what happened. 
I think the main thing is he just didn't want people to simply know him as someone who raises people from the dead or someone who heals people. Can you imagine the misdirection of his ministry if everyone figured, this guy raises people from the dead? My husband died last week. Come and pray for my husband. My, 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 my child died or my sister died or whatever. Suddenly a, a total misdirection. He was already hounded everywhere he went by the multitudes that brought sick and diseased and those possessed. And those are all great things. And he did those things and he ministered to so many people. But beloved, you need to understand, just like he wanted the multitudes to understand there, he did not come as a physical healer or the physical deliverer of people and of humanity. He came as the savior of the world. He did these healings as, again, not only a demonstration of the compassion of God in the lives of people, but also as a demonstration of the power and the authority of God over life and death and even over nature itself, that he had that might and that he had that power. The crowds were looking to get their temporary felt needs cared for. They, they wanted favors, not truth. They wanted healing and not conversion. But Jesus came in order that we might have life everlasting, spiritual, eternal life. Does he still bring healing? Yeah, I believe he does. And we continue to pray for healing. Does he bring deliverance? Yes, he does. And we pray and we seek his deliverance in our life. He still works miracles. God still is in the, uh, the miracle business today. I believe with all of my heart that he is still working. We don't see it that much here, do we? We don't, we don't see that many miracles here. You, you read the New Testament and you think, wow, it, it's like they had miracles all the time, not only with Jesus, but also with the church. How come we don't see that? Let me submit to you two things why I, don't, why I believe we do not see that as much today. Number one, I believe that the, de the demonic activity during the time of Jesus' presence and at the birth of the church was much, much more just simply because it was the beginning of what God was doing. And when you have the Son of God there and he's on the earth and he's walking, oh, there is a lot going on. And he is there as a demonstration, again, showing and demonstrating the compassion and the power of God over all of these situations. And then you see the birth of the church and the expanding of the church. And again, the battles that are there, the situations that are there. And I believe that there is much more, again, the activity and the needs that were there. That's one reason. But I believe the second reason is, and possibly even a more prominent reason is, it's too often in our culture, we don't need God. Too often in our culture, we don't need the miraculous or the supernatural. You see, we've got plastic. We've got money. We've got technology. We have everything else that we can use to replace God. In this culture, they didn't have that. And you know what? In third world countries right now, they still see miracles. They see where they can come and lay hands as missionaries come and they lay hands on people. And they literally are well, made well. We read accounts from Gospel for Asia on a continual basis of how God supernaturally brings healing into lives as they come. A young child, I, I, I love this story that we got from Gospel for Asia. A young child in one of their uh, uh, Bridges of Hope schools comes from a non-believing family. 
And as he's at that school, day in and day out, he hears the stories of Jesus, again, being spoken over and over and over again, the might and the power and the, the supernatural work of Jesus. And so he goes home, and his mother is deathly ill, and he tells his father that Jesus can heal mom. Uh, we, we, we read about him. They, they, they talk about him continually there at the Bridge of Hope School. And so the father and the husband of this woman, who literally is on her deathbed, he goes to the Bridge of Hope School and says, I, I, I want to meet Jesus. And they're, they're trying to think, well, does he want to get saved or what is he? No, he, he wants to meet the person of Jesus because he wants Jesus to come and heal his wife. So once they understand and, and get the, the understanding, they explain to him that, that Jesus, it's the Jesus of the Bible 2,000 years ago, and this is what he did. And the man, in, in his ignorance, says, but can he still do what he did then? And they said, yes, he can. And they went out, and man, can, can you imagine if you're the missionary there? Yeah, I believe. Help my unbelief, Lord, as, as you go out, because you're going to pray a prayer on a man that believes. The, the man believes it. And you go out and you pray for this woman, and can you imagine not only the, the impact for that missionary, but the impact for that uh, husband as well as that child when they pray and that woman rose from her deathbed. Those kinds of things are happening in the world today. Why? Because people are desperate for God. They're desperate for God to intervene in their life, and to work and move in their lives. The unfortunate reality in our culture, we depend so much on other things, and we lean so much on other things. Oh, that we would be a people who in our lives are so desperate for a move of God in their lives that we would be a people who would, again, reach out and understand and know it's not my strength, it's not my ability, but it's the work of God that's going to get me through this situation, that's going to bring healing to this situation, It's going to bring deliverance to this situation. Beloved, if you're here today and you're going through issues in your life, we can send you to counseling. Yeah, we, we've got great counselors in Jim and Ann Orr, and they can bring you right to the Word of God. But you know what? What they're going to do is point you to the Word of God, point you to the truth of God's Word, that our hope is found in Him and in Him complete. Whatever the issues, whatever the struggles, whatever the battles might be in your life, that you might know that it's Christ, it's Christ alone who is our hope in every aspect of our lives. Or if you're here today and you don't know Christ and you're trying to make life on your own, eternity stands before you. I, I want you to realize that eternity stands before you. And unless you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, unless you submit your heart and life to Jesus Christ, your eternity is not going to be spent with him. But as the word of God declares, your eternity is spent separate from God for all of eternity. Jesus speaks more about hell and the everlasting hell, a place of torment. He speaks more about that than he does about heaven. Why? Because he's concerned more about your eternal reality than your physical reality. Does he bring physical healing? Yes. But he came to earth to bring spiritual life in order that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved.
for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that the open word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word. from we-